As a startup, is there a right time to develop your brand in terms of raising funding? Are there good and bad times to rebrand? When funding's at stake, it can often mean that a founder has some very big decisions to make. And my guest on this episode is no stranger to the startup sector with over 15 years working with some very successful startups. We're going to explore this topic together. Welcome to Divided by Brand, the podcast aimed at entrepreneurs, business owners and influencers. If you want to learn from industry experts and you want to listen to advice about how to feel more confident with your brand, then this is the show for you. Join me as I interview inspirational individuals at different stages in their business journey. My name is Dan Ocock, I'm your host, and I'm a brand identity specialist with over 20 years experience. If you're interested to know if your own brand has all of the key ingredients to attract higher value clients, I've created a scorecard that'll help you do just that. It'll uncover if you're able to attract the right value clients and if your brand matches your ambition. The scorecard can be found by clicking the links button in the player. Yeah, the player that you're listening on. Just click the links button and you'll get redirected straight to my scorecard. It's very quick, it's incredibly simple to use, but most of all, it should deliver you some value straight to your inbox with your own customised report, which will have marked you across six core areas of branding. And I know you'll agree, that is quite long enough for a podcast intro. Shall we just start the show now? like to welcome to the show Adib Bamier and I hope I've pronounced that right Adib did I, did I get it right you have you have and, and most people don't so well done fantastic and I actually spelt it right because when I was typing up my notes um I was like I'm trying to remember how to type this and I, I kind of had a go at it I was like I got it right first time so double pat on the back for me um i want to introduce you to everybody and we actually know each other i don't often get guests on that i'm connected with in a professional way or a personal way sometimes personal but um yeah i want to kind of set the scene for everybody that's listening um you've got a wealth of experience i've recorded a nice little intro for you on the show that um sets out what we're going to be chatting about but tell me you know I think the nicest thing to do that sort of gets the ball rolling is tell me three wins from the last three weeks. That's usually a good place to start. What have you been up to, Adib, and what have you classed as a win over the last few weeks? Oh, three wins in the last three weeks. Um, the most, I'll do the most recent first because of um, recency bias. Um, I, uh, I do biometric testing um, every six months. Okay. Um, and that involves testing my, I, I do scans to look at body fat percentage. I look at body composition in general, muscle mass, VO2 max, resting heart rate, uh, 
blood tests, a whole bunch of things. It takes about four hours to do one of these tests. It's just me and a bunch of people in a lab um, poking at me. Wow. Um, and I and I do this I do this every six months to track my how my diet and my exercise is. Uh, is it moving in the right direction, basically? So I like to I like KPIs. KPIs are my are my friend. So yeah, I looked at my personal KPIs and I was uh, trending in the right direction. So that was that was an exciting thing that happened to me this weekend. I, I always I flew I flew into the UK to do the testing. I normally um, I've been living in Portugal, so so I come back for this testing. That is yeah. a, that's a good win. I like that, and yeah. and, I, and I like the idea of that service, which we can. I'll have a chat with you about that because, um, on a personal note, my stats weren't good, <laughs> and now they <laughs> and now they're heading in the right direction. But that's another conversation. So mm-hmm. nice KPIs physically. Then anything else mm-hmm. you want to throw in the mix for a win? Um, yeah, we've uh, uh, we had our uh, second. Uh, second quarter, end of second quarter, so we're halfway, uh, we're halfway through our financial year, and uh, Bamboo Orchard is um, is now is now for, for a six month window. It's the best six months we've done since we started the company four and a half years ago. Um, so that's sort of that's my second win. Well, let's pause on the second one there because that, that's actually a perfect segue because I'd like you to just say a little bit more about Bamboo Orchard. I know that's the company that we know each other through, but mm-hmm. tell us about Bamboo Orchard. So um, Bamboo Orchard is uh, a, a sort of a, a, a company that's evolved over four and a half years. Um, it was born out of um, me me being a COO for uh, 16, 17 years, very operationally led, but uh, I was doing seven days a week in, in the companies I worked for and I decided that was it. I wanted to to take my, my foot off the hours a week gas and put it down on the working with more companies pedal. Um, and um, and so I thought I'll go up to, to board level, I'll work with more companies as directors, as, as a board advisor, that sort of thing. And uh, that sort of just me um and very quickly i worked out that being strategic with ceos wasn't particularly um uh fulfilling uh, i was when i was a coo i would discuss strategy with the ceo and then they would leave me to go and execute on the strategy uh, as a as a director i would discuss strategy with the ceo and then I would have to leave the CEO to go and execute on strategy, and CEOs are terrible at executing on strategies <laughs> um, uh, for three for three reasons. Primarily, um, they lack either the experience in that function, the expertise in that function. So they didn't come from a marketing background to go and solve a marketing problem. They didn't come from a, a, an operations background or a product background, so they couldn't solve problems in that space where the problem was. Or the, they lacked the resources to go and do it. They just didn't have the people around them to do it. Uh, or they had the wrong personality type. They were visionary, visionary people rather than execution people. Um, and often it's actually a combination of those, those three things. So. I sat back and went, how do I solve this problem? I had a conversation with a couple of um, ex-colleagues of mine who had started up their own sort of freelance businesses or small agencies. And I said, well, why don't we bring all of us together to to, to solve problems for, for clients, set the strategy, discuss that with the CEO. And then rather than just leaving the CEO to sort of flounder, we would go and solve the problem. We would go and execute on the plan as if we were part of their team. So that's how it was born. And the first thing that I, and this, this is not, uh, uh, to pat you on the back, but the first service that Bamboo Orchard ever offered was brand, because brand to me is the most important thing that a company should look at. So every company that comes to Bamboo Orchard has to look at brand first before they can speak to any other department. But then we added product, we added marketing, we added sales, finance, HR, 
uh, recruitment um, operations, obviously, from, from my side. Um, and I feel like I'm probably forgetting something. But yes, we basically cover all of the all of the services um, strategically and tactically that a company needs to grow and grow quickly. And you're gonna and you're gonna realise throughout this entire podcast if you're listening that Adib's really good at talking. <laughs> really good at talking. Right? <laughs> I mean, I talk too much. No, I mean, <laughs> I generally that I have to work to get answers out of guests. So a lot of the time, as an interview, you 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 are spending that that time thinking about the next question, or certainly when it's conversational led. But mm-hmm. I, I know with you that um, I can I can sometimes take my foot off that that mental gas if you like could let you talk but what an introduction and i think what we want to bring out in this particular episode adib is is a lot around that work that uh, the work and the expertise that you have when it comes to that startup sector Mm -hmm. and i mean the profile that you've kind of sent over and i think that people should grasp is the amount of time that you've spent working with startups um Give us an idea how, what was this, what was the landscape, the startup landscape like all that time ago and how long ago was that compared to now? That's a nice way to kind of, I think. So my first startup was in the nineties. Wow. Yeah. It's been a, been a while. Um, I was, a a, originally I started my, my, uh, career as a computer engineer. So that's my first degree was in computer engineering. Okay. Um, and, um, so that's how that the 90s for that for me and I'm, the startups I was exposed to were pretty much um, hardware tech startups. It was all there was there wasn't that much in the way of as you can imagine sort of web web based businesses and um, even software companies were, were I mean they existed obviously but um, mm. but most of the startup world that I was exposed to was happening in the hardware space. Well, there was certainly um, no social media around in those oh, days. Of course, I yeah, think. of course not, no. Before um, social media. <laughs> I did have somebody, somebody uh, relatively young, they were, they were in their late 20s. Um, they had a look at my, my Facebook account um, and uh, they said, why are there no pictures of you on Facebook from like, you have a beard, your, your, your earliest picture on Facebook, you have a beard. I'm like, right. They're like, where are are the pictures of you when you were younger? I'm like, not on Facebook. It didn't exist. (laughs) Mind blown. It completely blew their mind. Yeah. I know. And it's just, it's just something that I keep coming back to. Is like, I I haven't got any photographs of sort of my teen years when we were out partying because no one had smartphones and nobody shared any pictures on social media. Yeah. You probably have the same thing. I have, I have this weird gap in, in my photo history, if you like. Of sort of, uh, I have some photos until about the age of five, yeah, and then nothing until the age of twenty-one. Yeah, and most of the pictures are printed in a family album, put away in a cupboard somewhere at my parents' house, so um, yep. they don't ever get to see the light of day. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like when you go to a library and you have to ask the librarian a special request to see the the long lost family photographs. But there you go. Um, so yeah, it was early nineties. Was the that was just kind of first? Yeah. So that was that was. Um, I, I worked for a um, a startup networking company um, that was that was building uh, uh, building networks for businesses. As I try, as I explain it, it sounds so simple and rudimentary, but at the time it wasn't at all. Um, we were we built. <laughs> I, I, I 
I built the computers and, and laid the cable and built the networks for um, US aid, um, British consulate, um, uh, like, uh, uh, some, some, some reasonably, reasonably large organizations, but they had nothing. They had literally nothing. Um, and I was treated back then, I was treated like a, like a doctor. Um, this is actually one of the reasons I left the industry. So at the beginning, I was treated like a doctor. I went into them sort of mid-90s. Um, I would come in and people were like, oh, thank you for coming. And, mm-hmm. and please, can we get you a drink? And, and would you like a sandwich? And, you know, it was, the it was speci- very much... The specialist. Yeah, I was a specialist. And by the time, it didn't take long, but within about three or four years, literally anybody and their dog could could put a PC together and, and lay some networking cables. So... So at that point, I was being—I was coming in. I was being treated like I might be stealing something, and I <laughs> hurry up and leave. Yeah. Um, and it was very much kind of standing over me to make sure that I, you know, I didn't pilfer something. So no, the, the industry definitely changed, and therefore the amount of money I was able to charge suddenly um, changed. And my my career over the last. Um, what am I? I'm 42 now, so over the last sort of 25 years, so I started quite young. Um, has has definitely been me following following the money essentially um, until probably about five years ago, and then I decided to follow follow the love. Yeah, well, I was about to ask th- th- to work within that niche a- around with startups. Where did have you always had a fascination with that sort of what I would class as um, explorative business excitement? You know, it's it's frantic it's up and down where's that fascination come from my father for sure my father as you i didn't i have never said this out loud before but as you described the fascination in my head i'm like you're just describing my dad okay um so so my father was a um i'm i'm my father's palestinian so i'm 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 half palestinian half british and um and he went to school in in cairo and in beirut he went to work for at the time a big international bank called intrabank they don't exist anymore um and then they sent him out to west africa and then the the bank collapsed due to an argument with the us but predominantly and he then rather than uh, go off and look for another job. He started his own business and he opened a Mercedes car dealership. Um, and then this was in West Africa. He didn't return back to the Middle East again. He stayed in West Africa. That's why I was brought up in Sierra Leone as a result. Um, and he had a Mercedes car dealership. And then he had uh, he went to Russia at a time when the Russians were trying to offload a lot of a lot of their um, assets. He went to Moscow and started buying helicopters and then selling them in in uh, in West Africa. Well, of course, um, naturally. Um, and then he did something similar in. He opened a business in in Morocco. I forget what it was. And then he he opened a department store in Freetown, the capital of Sierra Leone, which oh essentially was the Harrods of 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 Sierra Leone, and. It was so well regarded. This is a, an, a, a slight brand tangent here. Mm. That he built such a brand around the business. It was called New Horizons. That people used to come in and just buy anything, so they could get one of the, of the bags. So that when they gave somebody a gift, they would give it to them in the New Horizons bag, even if they didn't buy the gift in New Horizons. I love it. Right, yeah. we need to just absorb that for a second because that is is brand the power yep. of brand and my next question was leading into that where the heck did your interest passion or i guess appreciation of brand come from because all of the the roles that kind of passed um you know 
history that you've described, there was no there's no creative there and no um, formal training in brand. And often you'll find that brand experts or um, creatives or not necessarily strategists, but they are from a, a creative or a design background. And I think that when I hear that somebody who hasn't followed that path has such a big appreciation for brand, I'm like, well, where did it come from? Yeah. So, so it definitely the first time I saw the power of brand was, was my parents store. It was, it was my father set the business up, but he, he ran it with my mother and they, they created this, this, um, uh, walled garden of, of quality that existed in, in the capital city. And the, the, the plastic bag thing became such a problem. They actually started printing. They made these gold stickers that, uh, that said something on the lines of purchase from New Horizons. There was a, there was a more elegant line on it. I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and something like purchase with love from New Horizons, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything you purchase, they would ask you if it's going to be a gift and they would put that gold sticker on it. Ah. so that people could see it had been purchased from 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 this store um and it was quite it was quite something but i think going forwards going forwards where my approach is because i'm not a i'm not an artist in the in the practical sense of of drawing with a pencil or, or the paintbrush um i am i'm very much a more pragmatic person and uh, i look at what i look at the numbers essentially um and through my operations career um my uh, operations in itself is is about people and about moving people um and across the time that i worked in operations and managed people and i i probably employed more than a thousand people uh, i've definitely employed more than a thousand people in, in my career um so it's always been about how do you motivate people internally because for me brand is a conversation that's both internal and external mm-hmm. um so how do you motivate people internally how do you get them to buy into the the mission of your business um, and uh, how do you get them to feel ownership um, towards the business they work in um, because if I can achieve that I improve the efficiency of the business right I'm going to get five percent better output I'm going to get five percent five percent better churn per churn on, on customer um, uh, tenure and uh, not customer tenure sorry um, employee tenure that sort of thing so that's that's one one of the sort of next places where brands are becoming important to me because I need people to buy into what I was selling as in my employees it's huge right? yeah it is yeah. and it's something that people really do overlook is that power well, when you get it right and what a difference it makes mm. and and i think i think people overlook it because when you're standing on the outside of a business looking at it um and the let's use one of the powerful brands from the the 90s um because that's kind of where I, my, my brain is currently looking at the 90s in my in my life okay. um apple was one of the powerful brands in the 90s right i mean it's still a powerful brand but it's a different type of brand now than it was then mm. and and back then people looked on the outside and looked uh, from the outside looking at it and said well they did all the cool adverts um they did um they sponsored all the cool things they associated themselves with all the cool people so branding was very external they made well, they, computers look, looked cool as well don't forget even in yeah, the yeah, 90s yeah. yeah uh i mean probably looked cool in the 90s I mean, if you looked at one yeah. today <laughs> you know what i mean is for the 90s yeah. they they, they yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah um then they, they they wanted the whole be different be seen different um and make it where where your 
your differentiation on your sleeve so that everyone knows that you're different. It lined up really nicely. And I think that probably culturally the world was changing as well. We were moving into a world where um, the what was considered to be abnormal was starting to be considered to be normal. Um, there was a big, the, 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 the gay pride LGBTQ movement probably started in earnest or started to be accepted um, in earnest around that time as well, which Apple attached themselves to quite well, um, but in a way that was not obvious. It was subtle. Everything they did was very, very subtle. Um, but it was very, very clear that if you were an Apple person, you didn't need to shout about it. You just needed to show off your phone. Right? Yeah. You just needed to wear the white headphones, right? They were the and and people would know that you were an Apple person. Um, and today it's it's a watch. Um, tomorrow it'll be uh, some Apple glasses or a ring or something else that they, they, they bring out. But they, they like to make very subtle but very bold statements. They do. Mm. And um, if we shift that perception or that love of brand into a topic that we that I'd said to you before we kind of planned this interview, I said, let's bring that idea of, well, the, the importance of brand but for a startup, and often it's very, it's far, it's a long, a long way down the list in terms of priorities. And I said to you on email, I said, well, is there a right time for startups to develop their brand? Uh, I think that it is a continuous process. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it has to be seen as a continuous process because the... If you could, theoretically, if you could create the perfect brand, if that was possible, uh, the amount of time, effort and energy to do it on the day you start your business would be very impractical, yeah. right? So the same logic applies to when you're building software. Where the, the concept of MVP exists because while you could build the perfect software, theoretically, you could build the perfect piece of software that had every single feature it's ever going to need from day one doing that would be so impractical that it, you wouldn't be worth the time and resources to do so. So I think there's a very similar um, uh, overlap with the brand problem mm. with, as with any kind of development of the business problem, right? And the MVP engine, the, the, I, I, because maybe it's probably because I, I come from an engineering background, but everywhere that you see how the en engineers solve problems eventually bleeds into the rest of the business. Even the way that projects are run, the, with the advent of um, uh, waterfall project management, then the evolution into Scrum Agile, you see that now in every department in the business using these same methodologies. And I think the MVP concept has to exist not just in in product development and brand development, but it can also exist in in org structure, finances. There is no need to go crazy and build everything because one, it may take a huge amount of resource to build the perfect solution, even if you could. And in reality, you can't build a perfect solution. So what you need to do is build something that you think is 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 good enough, and it's an, an important, not just not just sufficient to get you out the door, but it has to be good enough to um, to be credible and viable. Mm -hmm. And those are my most popular words when I'm talking to to CEOs: credibility and viability, right, or lovability. Um, so it has to be it has to be at least that, but it shouldn't be any more than that because anything more than that is a wasted resource. The what you will then have to establish is: did you get it right? Because most likely you got it a little bit wrong. Your brand or your product sits with the client 
for a period of time and then you yeah. think to yourself right and i'm going to tie brand and product together for a second because as you as you put your product your let's say a, let's say a mobile app right or mm -hmm. a new pair of trainers whatever it might be you put them in the hands of your of your customer they will feed back to you on both how it makes them feel yeah the brand yeah and how it's how functional it is the product right and if you you will have you will have got something wrong if you if you want if we'll use that word for for the sake of ease you've got something slightly wrong there so so you then need to augment the product because some of the functionality doesn't sit where you thought it should the audience that you thought wanted this product isn't the one you thought it was so actually either you're going to change your product to match the audience you've been targeting or you're going to change your audience to match the product you've built. In both cases, you now need to go back and revisit your brand. Yeah. So if you've over-invested in your brand day one, then you're going to have to be tearing down stuff that you shouldn't have to tear down in the first place. You should be building on top of your brand, not um, destroying it and rebuilding it over and over again. Yes. And I didn't even interrupt because you were making such a perfect point of exactly what I was going to jump in and say, which is that often... When I've worked with startups, that the brand, oh, yeah, just the brand in air quotes, it, it grows with them. And often I think all they need is something to represent themselves visually and the brand will then come, I don't know, a year, two years down the line and they'll suddenly mm -hmm. realize what they're doing so well you know, cross your fingers you're doing it so well by that time. But yeah, that's at the it's at that stage where you go, Well, we're flying and the reason we're flying is because, you know, we we make people smile when they use our app or people literally you know, get married a day after they've met each other on this app. I d I don't know, but whatever that unique differentiating quality about the brand, you don't you're not going to know that on day one, are you? No. No, there's a, there's a the, the one thing that is certain is that everything is uncertain. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I'm just going to have to mark the timestamp on that, and you can have that as a some kind of quote within the um, show, yes. show notes. <laughs> Inspirational quote. We'll do a, me, a meme or something like that. Yeah. Awesome. Let me. Where's my little list of questions here? Because usually, I like to um, make sure that I've got through enough so that people find it insightful as well as an interview um, chat sounding friendly so we wanted to cover what I wanted to chat about was that topic of around the topic of funding but funding and brand and I think mm -hmm. this our conversation here was derived from whether or not there are good or bad times to look at your brand when funding is at stake and so that notion of, I guess we could look at it from, they, they want to, they want backing for their business very mm -hmm. early on. Should they be considering you know, brand up to a certain point or should they just, you know, go with it as is and, you know, that MVP and the product and everything, just get it out in the world and then mm -hmm. revisit the brand and then look to gain more funding. I don't know what... What are your thoughts around good and bad times to tackle brand when you know when you want to raise funds? So all of the companies that I work with um, as an individual and as Bamboo Orchard in our portfolio um, are, are 
are funded startups. That's the kind of companies we work with, right? So, so it's definitely something I'm exposed to on a on a on a daily basis. Also, I, I recently was asked to um, become one of the partners at a venture fund. So, uh, I I hear pitches from from startups on a again a daily basis. They're pitching pitching their ideas and. Um, uh, and products to me on the basis of potential investment. Um, this is is it is it sort of an evolution of the last the last question or the last answer I gave to the last question in the sense that this is an evolving process, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I, I use the phrase uh, credibility and um, buyability um, earlier. Now, the credibility part is really the important part, and that's really all the brand is. On a very practical sense, right? Um, there is there is there are layers of complexity around emotion, but credibility is the primary thing you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. in in brand because credibility is is about essentially honesty. Uh, is the message that you are trying to convey honest? Do I believe you? Doesn't matter if you're building a fintech company. We've got fintech companies in our portfolio. Um, credibility is important because I'm leaving money with you, or you're building. A skincare product. Um, again, what I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of specific companies in our portfolio and skincare products where I want to believe you that this product is going to make me look more beautiful and is healthy for my skin. Um, it, it, you, it's about that believability. So when you're thinking about investors, now some investors, maybe maybe most investors, would turn around and say, well, they've they um, value a business based on its underlying metrics not on the shiny stuff on top right mm-hmm. um so they then and i think some might even go to the point of saying well if the brand is rubbish then that's fine that can be invested into but if the underlying product is um is poor then you can't fix that right practically speaking that that's what a lot of vcs a lot of investors um would would potentially say in reality we're all human beings and we eat with our eyes before we do with our mouth so the it's it's when you think about the sheer volume of companies that we see on a weekly and monthly and annual basis Mm -hmm. the ones that will sit in our minds are the ones that looked credible from the outset the ones where you think well okay they say they're going to achieve xyz growth over the coming years do i believe this founder where is that belief coming? Where's that credibility coming from? Some of it is having a conversation with the founder. Do they sound confident? Are they saying the right things? The other is, are they doing the right things? They might be saying the right things, but are they doing the right things? So when you glance down at their deck, or you glance at their their mobile app, or you glance at their product, uh, does it look credible? Does it look like these are people that could they built what they built so far? Does it show me a, a, a leading indicator that they have the ability to continue in the right direction? And brand plays a significant part in that ability for a human being to judge a leading indicator on potential future success. And a far more down-to-earth way to put it, which is why I'm good at bringing things really down to earth and putting a slightly, you know, lewd tone on things. Can brand polish a turd? <laughs> Can brand polish a turd? <laughs> uh, um, brand, brand. Uh, brand can brand polish a turd. 
Um, do you think Brian can polish a turd? I don't know. It depends, yeah, on the type. But um, you mean I, how? What quality of turd? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying to put it into a pers- into perspective of that. If you I, yeah. if your product's not great, um, can brand rescue it almost? I think there's a there's a there's a line there. It's, a, it's a, that's actually in all seriousness, that's actually a really good question because the the if you look at the companies that win the 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 battle essentially to be the the best in market mm. um whether it's uh whether it's a, a google fighting fighting its competitors to be top for search um or a any a, a, a and other brand apple versus samsung uh, wherever it wherever it sits when you look at the companies winning these battles um it's it's rarely the company with the best product rarely the company with the best product mm. it is almost always the company with the best brand the best brand and the largest marketing budget probably it is well largest budget full stop whether they yeah. use on marketing or not um is, is i don't think the important part the, the and this is something i've seen over my career as a coo but also in the more immediateness of of having a bit of switching from a one company career to a portfolio career even in even in uh, my portfolio career i'm seeing the same thing repeated over and over again the company with the most money wins right and whether that money comes from revenue or from investment the company with the most money wins generally speaking mm. but how do you get the most money well hmm. credibility yeah right that's how you get the most money um so so it is a um uh, in answer to your question about about uh, about can a brand solve all problems? No. No. But when it comes to the difference between these are marginal differences, the differences between Samsung and Apple in terms of just the, the what's inside the box, it's a marginal difference. Mm-hmm. Some people might argue what's inside the box is almost always better when it's not Apple. You know, yeah. I, I don't have an Apple an Apple laptop. Um, I do have an Apple phone. Um, but the reason I have I don't have an Apple laptop is because I was a hardware engineer. And I know what's inside the box, and yeah. I want the better hardware, right? You probably but, want to be able to tweak that hardware yourself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, and 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 people that are sort of um, anti-Apple, Android fan fanatics, um, the they will they will probably when you tell them you know why is why is samsung better than apple or why is android better than apple or ios almost always they'll just start listing off all the product features they'll just start describing the technical reasons why yeah because there's no emotional reason why it's better in fact the reason why apple wins is is an emotional reason it's not a technical reason yeah i agree i think one of the reasons i mean apart from the fact that as a designer I, i was at the birth of apple's machines because they were really aimed at um typesetters and that creative artwork sector but now that everybody's got them it's still the experience that i get when i buy an apple product and the feeling when i have to go if i want to go into the apple store as an experience i -hmm. like it Mm -hmm. that's it it makes you feel like you belong yeah that's it i like to go in and feel part of the gang but that's a tangent, different tangent. Um, what I wanted to, still staying with that theme of, of, of brand and how important it is for these startup businesses. I know you've been recently publishing a few articles um, on LinkedIn. And I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes if anyone is listening and they kind of want to reach out and ask 
any details on anything that we've discussed, but I'd like to hear from you. You you hear these these founders coming talking to you about their startup business ideas day in day out, week in week out. What are the most common mistakes in terms of a brand that you see with these with these founders? Are they are they making the same mistakes? Are they are you constantly saying what are you doing, or is it you know am I wrong? Are they doing it all right? Occasionally, occasionally a brand will come along and you just think um, you've 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 nailed this right. You've you've invested just the right amount um, to to the level of business you are right. Um, and if you wanted to, I, I, I don't know if I've, I've never actually made a formula. For I have a habit of making. Um, uh, frameworks and formulas to 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 solve operational problems, and uh, I've never done one for for brand. But there's probably something along the lines of uh, a certain percentage of your revenue or capital raised should be spent on on brand. I, I don't know what that number would be, but but there's there's something there. I think. Um, mm. So so there's occasionally as yes, companies do come along and they've and they've nailed it. But in general, the problem that I see ninety plus percent of the time um, is underspending um and i don't mean in money i mean in, in time effort energy focus um uh on on the value and importance of a brand um so that that's the, so that the, everyone everyone will come in and say well i've already got i, I know what i'm going to call my company um and and actually at bamboo orchard one of the, one of the things that we do um um is is sometimes rename a company. Somebody will come in and say, I'm going to call my company, you know, Monkey Balls. And you're like, that's not a great name for a company. Um, so can we pick something else, please? Uh, and, you know, we've had battles with people and uh, and uh, eventually we'll, we'll win them over through reasoning and... and uh, a, a rational thought. Rational thought. Occasionally <laughs> we don't. Um, but yeah, so... so Usually, it's it's people are under investing time in looking and thinking about what they're doing, right? Uh, and they're not understanding the value. It's like brand feels like something that big companies do. Yeah. I don't need to do that right now. I will do that later. When in reality, brand is the 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 front face of your business, mm-hmm. your product, um, and therefore hiring people and selling your product and raising investment are all tied back to your credibility, which is tied into your brand. So generally speaking, people aren't investing enough time in it. So I, I get, I get, I can think of one particular client. I'm not going to name them, um, but they, they, they have virtually in my mind, they, have, they had virtually nothing invested into their brand, right? Very plain, um, uh, logo no real conscious thought about color no real conscious thought about uh, use of of uh, of of uh, lettering or anything else right okay. yeah um and i i tested this founder for a year to say please let's upgrade the brand please let's upgrade the brand and eventually eventually i said to him look i will give you a, a great price if you let our brand team have a go with this because it's really bothering me um and he said okay no problem and i came back to him with um with a price which i thought was incredibly low um it was in the few thousand pound kind of region it's incredibly low i said i just want to do something and he was like oh it's really expensive i didn't expect that i was like oh <laughs> i was like oh so i said well i could 
probably shave it down to like like I don't know thirty percent or forty percent, but like I, I I I would essentially be be losing on this just to to not have a brand that bad in my portfolio. Essentially, what my point my thought was at this point, and he still went, yeah, I still wouldn't do it at that price. Yeah. Like, Hold on a second. When you said that that you were happy for me to go and look at this in terms of get a quote, what were you expecting me to come back with price wise? Yeah. And he went, well. We spent fifty dollars on the current one, so and I was like, "Wow, what?" And he was like, "Yeah, I got some dude on Fiverr to do it." Okay, <laughs> I was like, right, okay. Some people, I mean, that's just their, their train of thought, and um, it's. I think it's their loss in the end. Well, I know it is their loss. I was interested to. I was about to ask if they were a UK business, but you said dollars at the end. But it could have been a UK business buying uh, a dollar. Yeah, they weren't a UK business, um, but they were paying in dollars on on the Fiverr site, which actually would have charged you in sterling if you were in the UK. So no, no, they were they were they're not a UK business. Um, but probably about a third of our portfolio are not in the UK, and about two thirds are inside the UK. Yeah, and it's an intra, It's another topic that we could. Yeah, we've got a little bit of time to, to chat around, but I find that the UK does not get the value of brand predominantly. Um, well, they definitely don't get it as much as the American market, which is where I, I've i got a lot of clients in the US and mm-hmm. they're very passionate about it as a subject and, for, and the values that it brings for their business. And it's something that, I don't know if it's generational with the age of people that were running businesses in the UK, but you'd come up against all of those points that you've just made. Well, I don't, I don't need a logo, and if I do, I'll get I'll get Jack, um, my lad down at Thing to do me. You know that kind of yeah. attitude. Do yeah. you find that split between you know the wet? <laughs> The UK and the US. Do you do you find that? Yeah, it's not just it's not just UK and US. Um, again, because my experience is is even broader beyond beyond those regions. Uh, the US and the Scandinavians predominantly have a real understanding about psychology, and this is what we're talking about. We're talking about psychology ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to move people to follow you, to believe in you, to buy into you, then it's a, it's a psychological um, uh, challenge your, uh, or barrier that you're trying to climb over. Yeah. And it's a noisy environment where lots of other people are trying to, to climb the same, uh, the same hurdle, trying to achieve the same thing. So you have, to, um, you have to make sure that what you're doing stands out. Uh, one of the things that one of the things I'm, I talk about a lot in terms of not just brand but uh, product development in general, how your product looks and feels when it when it's in the customer's hands, is in the '90s you could knock something out that looked um, in, in, literally you could knock something out in a in a in a few hours and it would be fine, right? Um, with each decade that's passed and now probably getting in faster and faster, especially with the the advent of generative AI. Mm. You now can't do that. You can't just put out something that looks like you made it in your bedroom because what people are actually making their bedrooms now look so good. Yeah. The, 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 the entry point for credibility, the entry point for good enough is much higher. You essentially, from a, from a front-facing rather than a back-facing, from a front-end perspective, you, you now essentially need to build products that are, are near identical to enterprise products. Mm-hmm. You can't be putting brands or um, designs into the world that don't look 
polished to the point that it could have come from Nike's design department, right? It has to look that good because people can do that so easily. Mm. There is so much talent in the world and so much talent flowing into the market at a very low cost. It used to cost you a million, two million, three million to put out a high quality brand. Now you can do it for tens of thousands. So everyone can do it. So if you're not doing it, then you are essentially hamstringing yourself from the day one from day one right and and that's where we keep falling short and that's the, the message i keep trying to get across to to founders the and back to your question about the the americans the americans get this the scandinavians get this um the the uh UKans, UKans, UKans. the british <laughs> the british don't get this right they don't seem to have quite landed this idea no some do but not all of them. It's a big, it's a far, it's an educational challenge is probably the best way to word it. And Mm -hmm. I've found that when I'm engaging with founders who are a similar age to myself or younger, then they understand a lot better than, um, and I'm I'm 44, so that I'm thinking of the old, the next generation, I don't know what they call them, you know, they give them these labels, don't they? Um, But I think when you, you know, towards that, the late 50s, 60s, their concept of brand is different compared Mm -hmm. to what we understand. I don't like to tarnish them all with the same brush though, but you know, it isn't like that, but most of them, anyway, to try and stay a little bit, you know, PC on the the show project. (laughs) Yeah, branding branding has always existed. Branding has always existed. Um, yeah. uh, the difference the difference is the the amount of noise. That's the, that's what's changed. Yeah, uh, you, and you could you, the, the, you could get away with um, something that was good enough to you know it looks it looks fine. Uh, that's like my my most hated sentence. It looks fine. Yeah, it's fine. So, it's nice. It's, fine. it's nice. Yeah. So so you could get away with that. Um, in, in previous decades, you just can't get away with it now. Um, and you're certainly not going to get away with it in the coming few years mm-hmm. um, when you can literally generate stunning imagery um, through generative AI and you can create concepts and ideas and um, uh, creative copy. I don't want to make it all all around design. Brand isn't simply about design, no. but uh, but yeah, it's it's going to become harder and harder to build something that passes that minimum minimum benchmark you need to be credible. Yeah, credible. And the reason is that the things that will enter the market that that look good, you know, look fine, um, but they're attached to a brand that doesn't keep its promises. Therefore, it loses credibility. So the next time a consumer sees a similar level of of energy and effort of fine put out into the market they will associate it with the other bad experience they had mm-hmm. so now they will so i think we're already there right now if your product doesn't look as sharp and as smart as nike apple xyz out, out the door if it doesn't look sharp and well polished and well thought out yeah it's already associated with something that lacks credibility yeah. because other things have let people down yeah and if you took nike as an example you you know if you are bringing out a new line of shoes there's the benchmark for you mm-hmm. nike <laughs> within reason trainer probably not shoe um cool Right, I'm gonna. I'm looking at my time here, and I'm thinking. Right, I need to get got my last few questions in. That I want to ask you. The mm-hmm. first one, I like it because it gives it 
it's a nice insight. I like to write, it sort of brings it to a nice finale, if you like. But if you met yourself 10 years ago, what would you say to yourself? That, That instance of, you know, anything, any words of wisdom that you would share with your 10 year younger self? Oh, I would, <laughs> I would uh, so ten, 10 years ago, uh, somebody shared, uh, shared with me a piece of advice, um, which was, uh, specialize. Okay. Um, and, uh, be, be, be so good that, that you'll win in your market, right? So specialize deeply because that's how you, how you win. Um, so if I was to go back 10 years today, I would tell myself to ignore that person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't, um, don't specialize. Don't get confused. I didn't end up specializing. I didn't. Um, I stayed broad, but it, I spent the last 10 years with that uh, sort of constant doubt of should I specialize? Should I specialize? And, and now I'm very much comfortable in my own skin. I've, I've built my success around a lack of specialization, around a broad approach, a holistic approach. When I say lack of specialization, it sounds negative. What I'm saying is, I take a holistic approach to everything. You know, if I'm building, if I'm building a company's um, org structure, I am thinking about about um, brand. I'm thinking about communication. I'm thinking about logistics and finance and all all of the holistic things that come into putting that thing together, rather than attacking it from a very one-dimensional view. Because I specialised. So that's that's the advice I would go back and give myself. Um, don't get too caught up in the idea that specialising will make you stronger. You definitely need specialists in the world, but you can get strength from both sides of this particular coin. Okay. So a slap, a backhanded slap in the face of that advice then. Yeah, basically. (laughs) No, that's interesting because most people steer the answer for that one towards more of a, well, I would definitely tell myself to do this, this, and this, you know, telling themselves to do something <laughs> not the opposite so i can't yeah. like that i wouldn't have expected anything less from you of course um adib i would love you to pick a boldest brand for this episode as i get each guest to pick a brand that is in my words doing it for them and it can be interpreted however you like have you got a boldest brand for this episode um uh i do i do i had to create my own definition of what i meant what was meant by boldest brand because you wouldn't give me one yeah well tell uh, us what how you define come on then I, i'd like you to shed the light on what you defined as or thought of as bold it's deliberately meant to do that as a question yeah. and, I, and, and, I, and i like questions like that um and i like to create my own versions of the questions anyway um, but yeah, so the, um, the boldest brand for me was a brand that was uh, a, a, a business that was building a product that was in in essence a commodity, something that was was not unique fundamentally. Um, the example I gave earlier was Apple and Samsung. Essentially, in the box, you have the same thing, but somehow setting itself apart and creating a new a new market for itself. And if anything, using a brand to create a market rather than using the product to create the market. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I that's how I, I defined it. So their their boldness. Another way would be to do something courageous in terms of making a decision that could have gone could have gone wrong um, by making a. A bold decision with their brand so i did think about these two different things and mm-hmm. 
for the for the latter on a in terms of a, a brand that was that had made a decision to go in one direction over another and it ended up being the right one um was bang and olsen um they they were definitely at a a tipping point um a few decades ago where they were going to be out of business and uh one of their employees who had worked there, I think the story goes from when he was a cleaner in one of the, one of the stores and worked himself up to CEO, he decided that Bang & Olsen should be a luxury brand and it should epitomize everything that is pure about sound and uh, design and it should, the product they build should not just sound um, amazing, they should look amazing inside your inside your living room, inside your um, uh, uh, office, uh, in your ears. So Bang Olsen was made a bold decision to step away from the uh, affordable end of the market, become very expensive and really make a, a name for themselves in that space. Um, but for me, the one that is sort of immediately around me, it's because a brand I, I buy into a lot is the one that I think had taken something quite commoditized and built from the the true feeling of brand which is tribalism and that is razor you familiar with razor the laptop company yes and no i'm going to quickly type it into my browser to refresh my brain but carry on their, their logo is a three-headed snake um so, okay yeah 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 so razor Razor not essentially not familiar with it sorry to cut in any no i don't think i've really engaged with that brand but tell me okay. more then so razor essentially is a um is a is a windows pc laptop brand um they uh attempted to do something that alienware attempted to do um uh you've seen it with uh, asos and um uh Dell, who have acquired Alienware and a few and a number of other brands out there, Hewlett um, Packard, mm-hmm. they're just building laptops essentially. And if you just look at the the hardware itself, uh, it's not significantly differentiated from most of the other high end um, high end computing brands in the market. But what they essentially did was create this idea that they are their brand, they're, they're, they're um, uh, slogan is built by gamers for gamers. So while they were building PCs, they decided to to label themselves as the the gamers gaming brand. Right. Um, they they the choice of the, their initial choice of colours was um, was bold in terms of they went with black instead of the traditional market silvers and greys that were. Uh, on all these devices, even Alienware used um, used these silvers and greys. They went with black, and then they went with a neon green um, to sort of offset that, and it made them feel very futuristic. And when you look at the product now, maybe it feels quite quite current and modern. But at the time, there wasn't many black black devices in the market with neon colours coming through them. Yeah. So they, they they made those choices in terms of in terms of colours. They made the choices of the statement around built by gamers for gamers the ceo himself would uh, be be talking a lot about the games he loved playing and and uh, they run they run events around this this gaming uh, gaming events so that people can kind of feel feel their passion for it and then they went on to build uh, keyboards mice headphones yeah. they've got tons uh, of stuff speakers gaming chairs yeah um, uh, so on my sitting on my desk, I have uh, a Razer keyboard, a Razer laptop, um, a Razer a webcam, 
a mouse. Do I have anything else on this desk? Because from Razer, probably something else kicking about. Oh, my speakers are from Razer, and uh, so they 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 essentially made it easy for me to buy their products because I have a base understanding of their credibility. I know the quality of the things they build is is going to be of a certain level, right? And the things that they consider to be important. In their case, it is about speed of performance, latency, because they're building things for gamers. I have a little sort of side hobby in gaming. Um, they build these things. They build these things for for the priorities of a gamer. Everything is black, and I like black. Um, and so, when I buy, I don't even have to think. I don't. I don't go and search the market to see what what the other choices are in the keyboard space. I just go and see what the choices are in the Razer keyboard space. Yeah. So I'm already tied to that. Um, I love that because that's like that's brand Nirvana for them isn't it they love that and that's exactly what a successful brand should be Um, that you feel that you you just don't need to go anywhere else because I'm happy to pay whatever price Razor put out there because I'm there I'm in it it does it all for me yeah and and I I would I would say that that's how Apple achieves what Apple achieves. You know, they, Apple will charge you more than than the 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 more than the weight of the contents in the box mm-hmm. because it's got their logo on the front of the box. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's really too. You've cheated the system by giving me two brands there. <laughs> it was not plural. It was boldest brand, and Fine. and I was going to stop you, but uh, bang and Olsen because. I really like that. The, I didn't know that that was the story that sat behind Bang & Olufsen, that they'd made that decision to become an expert. I thought they just always were. I, I actually, I knew the story very well. I read it 12 years ago, maybe, or something that I think I can't really remember it in detail now, but I did know it quite well. But it was something as simple as they, the stores were struggling in, in Denmark and they were um, and they were coming sort of to a critical point. And they had had an employee who had been there as a cleaner from day one and watched the brand grow. Mm-hmm. And he loved and believed in the business. And he saw it as something more than, than the essentially the shareholders were believing in it could be and so he basically said well this last one last throw of the dice let me take that throw um, <laughs> they listened to the cleaner well no no he wasn't the cleaner <laughs> who became the CEO sorry that he, he, he had been there so long he'd, like he had started there as a cleaner by the time he was at the table making that decision I, I think he may have already been the CEO at that right, point right, right. But, they, they, but people were losing faith and he said well let me let me have a go at, at making this uh, making this something special and I want to take this path and whether how much argument he had, I don't know. You, you, I wasn't in the room, but uh, um, I would imagine he probably got a little bit of pushback because he was about to make a bold mm. decision about making this a premium business, um, and uh, it paid off. And having that belief is a big thing as well. And often, I mean, we're nearly rounding up, but that's that time, that thing with brand that if you don't believe. It, it, it will it will show but at the same time you often have to have that that push that a little bit of backing like visually as a brand but also like documented so that then that gives you more confidence whenever you're out engaging with investors or even your clients or what whatever's out there in the world to represent your business mm-hmm. visually um you know the re- brand is that reputation whatever's out there that gives you the confidence. 
and that's Frame. a big thing. Yeah, frame, frameworks. What you've just said reminds me a lot of why why we use frameworks in life, in business, and everywhere. Is if you have a framework for how you approach a, a process, then then it means that you don't have to think. Mm -hmm. If you have a brand framework, you have a brand guideline, and you know that when you put your your brand together in whatever format it is, whether it's going to appear on a on a pitch deck or on the product itself or on your website, when you are applying your brand, there is no need to think. You've already built that confidence when you put together your brand book. So at that point, you energy can then be refocused on evolving and taking it forwards. You're not constantly trying to get it right at the very granular stages. You already have a framework that you can then build on top of. And I think that's what the brand book essentially does. It creates that framework for you to then build on top of. It does. Confidence is huge and it exudes, comes out of you. If you're not confident, you know, not only will investors pick up on it, but the, your audience as a brand, it's, it's massive. And your employees, and your employees, and, and yeah. I think what what um, what we see, what we can pull from the from the Bang and Olsen story is that that was an employee who had ownership, who felt that he that the business was his he, he, because he had been there so long. Mm -hmm. Yes, he had time, but also because he believed in the brand. I think and he I wanted wanna, it to develop. I think I'm gonna have to go away and read that story because I actually find I'm not I didn't realize that first of all, but secondly that I find it quite interesting. Um, I want to hear how how we progressed and what that well hopefully i've relayed the story correctly yeah, otherwise, well, <laughs> otherwise it was just a very good story and <laughs> what i'll do if anyone's listening and i do find a link to that story then we'll post it in the show notes and um you can have a read of it for yourselves um adib we've we've covered a lot and as with with all of these episodes when i get started it's often hard to wind things up but we've we've crossed the hour mark and there's probably some people going can we have some more can we have some more there's probably others that didn't get this far but well whatever it's it's been a pleasure talking to you and hearing not only your take on brand but hearing certainly from the perspective of brand and the startup world um you know how much of an influence it has um is there anywhere that people can go and find out more from yourself in terms of insights? Is there anything that you want to share with anybody that we can point them towards, anything like that? My LinkedIn is the best place to um, hear my ramblings if I uh, have taken to, I usually take LinkedIn uh, once or twice a week to, to complain or ramble about something. Um, and if anybody wants to ask me a question or reach out to me directly, that's also the best place to do it. Awesome. We'll pop a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn. And if you want to check out Adib's company, it's Bamboo Orchard and the website is bamboo-orchard.com and you can find out more about the workings that Adib has and the team um, with, with startup brands around the world so Adib I'm going to round up and say thank you very much for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure thank you it's great being here so here we are the end of another episode just like to say thank you very much for listening really does mean a lot if you've enjoyed the show please leave me a review love reading comments and feedback from listeners 
If you've been listening and think that you would like to find out if your brand has all of the key ingredients to make it stand out from the crowd, don't forget to hit the links button in the player. Yes, this player that you're listening on, which will take you to my brand report. And that will give you a customized report score of your brand straight to your inbox. If you'd like to find out more about myself, visit my website, www.danielocock.com. Again, links are in the show notes. You can book a call with me if you'd like to discuss your next project. The show is available on all major platforms. So don't forget to hit subscribe if you'd like to be updated about future episodes. And remember, if you're not proud of your brand, then how do you expect anyone else to be?